0: It's a work of fiction, and your protagonist has to be near to all the action that's happening. But the idea that they travel halfway across the city, and the Martians are still like, "Where's that one fella with the glasses?" And tell you what, fucking right up.
1: There's a little digging machine as well, basically like a Roomba, but it digs
0: rather than hoovers up. I thought it was really cute. It's it's in twentieth century popular literature in a single slim volume. Toy in England, we don't do rationing,
1: mate. <laughs> I'm having more of that burgundy. Hello, and welcome to part four of Shark Royals read through of The
0: War of the Worlds. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. You ready, Dave? Part four. I'm ready. Oh, I'm so excited about this. It's going to be great. We've had three knockdown brilliant sections so far. Surely the wheels can't come off now. Surely we are in the presence of a masterpiece. Unfortunately for us, humanity, the wheels have very much
1: come off because the next <laughs> part begins book two, The Earth Under the Martians, which is, kind of, <laughs> as you said at the end of the last one, it's kind of weird because the big sort of climax of the last chapter is this sort of suicide charge from this thunderchild ironclad, which although destroys the ship, um, seems to take three of the Martians with it, which sounds like quite quite good odds, quite good numbers. But um, it, it's it's sort of the chapter is there to show you that mankind's last great effort is defeated.
0: But, it, yeah. yeah, it's weird, isn't it? How, well, it is particularly weird because it is called The War of the Worlds, yeah. and the war seems to be fairly perfunctory and dealt with in really quite a quick way. And then yeah. what we've got for the rest of the book is the immediate horrifying aftermath of The War of the Worlds. Yeah. Um you know, the route of one world in response to the overwhelming military might of another, more technologically advanced world, I think might yeah. be a better title for it. Um, but um, the other thing that uh, this. Um, fuck, I've completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, it must be Sunday afternoon, <laughs> Matt. I tell you. Never mind. Move that's on. Move four on. years in. I think that's the first time <laughs> that's
1: ever happened.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's charitable, but you know as well as I do that that is not the case. <laughs>
1: Um, okay, well, let's let's go straight in, then, to um, chapter, it's actually chapter one today of book two. I don't know um, what I was going to say. Game of Thrones flashback. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> in the HarperCollins version.
0: In the <laughs> HarperCollins version. No, what I was going to say was, I've discovered why this is, why this book is structured in such a weird way. Wow. Um, it's because it was serialized. Oh, it yeah, was, of course, yeah it was published in sections. So clearly what he's done is he's, he's, he's done the first two or three episodes or whatever and called it the war of the worlds to get people to buy it. But then when, when interest starts to flag a little bit, part two needs to have some, you know, similarly kind of awful portent. And so calling it the earth under the Martians hmm. is exactly what you do when, when the sales have started to slack off a little bit. Um, so that makes perfect sense <laughs> to me now that there's actually not very much war in The War of the Worlds because that's a title designed to get you to buy it off the newsstand mm. and The Earth Under the Martians is designed to get you to buy the third, the third edition when you kind of slacked out on number two because, nah, you know, maybe <laughs> it's all right.
1: Yeah, Sorry. although I also, I also read um, in between this week and last week that um, one of the things Hul seemed to enjoy about writing this the most was sort of giving humanity a shellacking um, because it, there's a sort there's of a, these letters that he wrote to a friend saying, I'm really enjoying writing this book about, like, humanity and, more specifically, Woking
0: getting the shit kicked out no, of Yeah, over. that's it. <laughs> Begging the question, Matt, what had happened to H.G. Wells in Woking such that he was like, you could just imagine whatever it was, he's on the train out of there at the end of some horrible experience looking back going, right. <laughs> I am going to do you in 12-point type, pal. <laughs>
1: well, I, th- I think it's... um. The the locations and stuff are are all basically um, sort of ground zero is literally pretty much where H.G. Wells lived. So oh, he's really? basically written it from his house and then sort of concentric
0: circles going out from <laughs> that's, there. That's so, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, well, the doctor's told me I need to get a morning constitutional. So yeah. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just write a novel where something significant happens at a different distance away from my house every day along the train lines. Obs, Don't want to put yeah. too much effort into it. And, uh, and then it will be a global bestseller and found, uh, form the basis of several different pieces of 20th century literature. M- Good plan.
1: Mm- Maybe he thought, you know, write about what you know. Well, I'm reaching a bit here with the Martian
0: invasion, <laughs> so I've got to at least base it somewhere that That's I know. It. So. Balance it out. I I, <laughs> I might not be too good at the inventiveness of these particular animals, but I'll be I'll be damn sure that I will have an accurate description of the pubs and thoroughfares of Woking. That <laughs> is in the pocket. Maybe maybe that is part of the genius
1: of the book that um he manages to to make these obviously he's very he thinks very um deeply about how he constructs these uh, science fiction and otherworldly creatures, but also it feels more grounded because he's writing sort of with a backdrop of something that he knows intimately well, so it can feel it can feel quite realistic i don't know yeah even absolutely even, no. even echoing down the down the years <sighs> yeah. so okay that's quite enough of. Uh, preamble. Let's get into quite, pa- quite chapter enough one. Of this nonsense <laughs> underfoot. So finally, we're back with the narrator because for the last few chapters, most of the route of civilization has happened through sort of the eyes of the narrator's brother, like the whole Thunderchild stuff and the escape, the sort of exodus from London and the attack on London as well. That was all like, so I heard this from my brother, um, and now we're back with the narrator who's still yeah.
0: with, Do you remember the curate from all those I, chapters I, ago? I, I do, this, this useless useless geezer, who, who ends up never getting a name I think I'm realising now like, mm. this, this guy is just the curate, no 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 sense of this, you know, my companion my, you know, the sense of human connection in the midst of horrifying disruption and destruction mm. no, this wanker that I had next to me and I couldn't get rid of for reasons of Victorian good manners. That's it. That's who this guy is. Doesn't even get a name.
1: Well, yeah, he starts off disliking him, and that um, is pretty much the high point in their relationship. So, yeah, it goes downhill from there. Um, so these... To a quite dramatic extent. By, I mean, we'll
0: get there in this section, but it's quite dramatic, mm-hmm. isn't it?
1: Yeah. So these two are tra- they're trapped in this house because... Um, some of that black smoke has closed in around them and it seems that as we said before it's really heavy this stuff so it doesn't disperse but i think the the other side of that is it also doesn't seem to penetrate into buildings and stuff so you know if if you shut the door and stick a blanket underneath the crack you're probably going to be okay it's not like real
0: smoke um, yeah, it's not a terribly pre weapon of war in that case, is it? If people can keep it out with towels, that's <laughs> a bit... So if it's equal to the basic kit of an intergalactic hitchhiker, then I think it's probably not very good as a weapon. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, actually. but We'll talk about this at
1: the end, so let's not do it now. But um, if, uh, if the Martians had invaded 100 years later with the tech that they've got, they'd just... Wouldn't have even been an issue. we Would have just wiped the floor yeah. with them. But we'll um, we'll come to that at the end. Maybe we'll we'll
0: discuss whether we think yeah. we'd have had a better chance.
1: <laughs> I think some of the weapons <laughs> we've got know. be like, yeah, no problem. Oh, should
0: I should I prepare my preposterous <laughs> bravado? Matt, should I open the preposterous bravado chest so that I can pretend that I would be better against these guys than the finest fruit of late Victorian England? <laughs> um. So
1: yeah, that'd be something something for us to do at the end. So they're they're trapped in this house and um, he's worried about his wife and irritated by the curate, I think in equal levels. Um, This other Martian comes along um, a little bit later and sprays this sort of stuff that seems to be like steam and it turns the smoke into dirt. So it all turns it into this solid stuff that just sits on the ground. Um, And that means the... uh, that they can they can sneak out once the Martian's gone and make their way towards, they go towards London, but I think they're going towards Leatherhead via London, from what I can tell. Because yeah, at first I saw him writing, and then we're headed towards London, and I was thinking, well, what are you, what are you on about? Are you not going to go see your wife? So you're just worried about it. And then later on he says, because I was anxious to get to Leatherhead. So I think it's just sort of a, a roundabout route they're taking to get there.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe it's the straight line. I think we both, at this point, betray our lack of knowledge of the sort of southern cusp of of Greater London. Yeah. Maybe the straight line would take you into London. I don't know. Um, I mean, the M twenty five didn't exist, alas. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you'd do. But um, I, I tell you something that occurs to me here is um, this is so th- this this smoke can get dispersed by use of like high pressure steam yeah right well no it can get used it can get dispersed by something
1: that he describes as steam oh because he right. doesn't really know how to thinking. describe
0: it this is the Victorian era, right? There's one <laughs> yeah. thing that suburban London in the late 1890s did not lack for. It was machines running off of high-pressure steam. Like, you could just drive the trains up and down the tracks all day and clear off all of this stuff. It would be great if you, <laughs> yeah. you actually maintain the only thing you really need to maintain in order to win a war, which is the, the logistics network. Mm. <laughs> you sort of drive up and down, I like, you know, leaning out of the... The, uh, the engine bit at the front just sort of flicking the Vs to all these massive things all the way up and down. You can't get me! I've got a fucking kettle! <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> that would work beautifully up until we turn the heat ray on you and then you're like oh shit
0: <laughs> and this Matt this is why this is why the bravado which I will do my best to bring out later on about my uh, my, my chances against these Muppets would be misplaced
1: <laughs> combined arms is it shit <laughs>
0: <laughs> hang on you mean to say that you've got all right bear with <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah um so they they head out towards london i assume maybe the maybe the sort of the Maybury stuff they can't go back through there because obviously of what's happened so they're doing a little round roundabout way um but the the whole area is almost deserted loads of bodies and stuff um they see the martians strolling through london on, on in their tripods every so often um they see some people chased and thrown into the basket on the back of the um the tripod's back um which doesn't sound doesn't sound particularly good news for the for the people there
0: yeah and and it i did quite like the fact that we were joking about these baskets having been put on there as sort of Mm. like after the fact adaptation so that they'd have some way of carrying things and that it kind of looks like looks like a kind of basket on a old granny bike kind of thing but yeah That's absolutely what they're using them for. This is a shopping basket. They're just like, oh, I'll have that one. Oh, mm. delicious humans! Yes, right for the picking. That one and that <laughs> one and that one. one. Oh, he's got a waistcoat on there, chubby. I'll have one of those. Mm. You know, she's <laughs> brilliant. I, I, I love this image of the domestically minded Martian invader from outer space.
1: Yeah, selecting us like we would select a lobster. Just, yeah, yes, I'll oh, have this a, one. I
0: was I was going for like like pick your own strawberries or anything, but now you've said lobster, all I can think of is well the horrifying scenes of human human consumption that occur later in the book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, oh, no, jokes to be had about those. By the way, speaking of horrifying, there's this um,
1: sort of gun emplacement that they come across, and um, they've obviously it's been attacked with the heat ray, and there's basically just sort of these like there are these soldiers who are obviously sort of blackened tops and then they're sort of like below the waist, they still look normal. So it's like just shows how the heat ray works. It sort of cuts across you and it can set you mm. like your top of you on fire and leave the rest of you. Um, almost That's like horrible, a laser or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're they breaking into houses, scavenging for food. And um, while they're in one of the houses, something crashes outside and knocks... Um, it knocks the narrator unconscious. And when he comes yeah. to, it's basically a cylinder's landed next to the house, collapsed half of it. And um, <laughs> they, they just happen to have sort of
0: um, <laughs> they, been in the half that hasn't happened. collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> they just, like, it's a work of fiction and your protagonist has to be near to all the action that's happening. But this I thought was pretty amazing. Like, I because I feel like, HG Wells has established a tolerance of like the likelihood of this sort of shit happening in his world. And it is an invasion that happened down the road, started happening down the road from the, the narrator's house. Which, cool, you need somebody to narrate it. Great. Hmm. But the idea that they travel halfway across the city and the Martians are still like, where's that one fella with the glasses and the <laughs> and the moustache? Is he, is he in that house? Tell you what, fucking him right up. Don't kill him. Obviously, because narrative. But just collapse half the house, yeah? Just take it. What I mean is, it, I felt this stretched my credibility just a <laughs> tiny bit. D- unless they're, like, bombarding, unless there's one of these things falling in every other back garden at this point. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, well, yeah, do you think there's like there's some guy in Martian HQ on Mars and he just keeps
0: aiming for the narrator? <laughs> 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 that's the great untold story of, uh, of the War of the Worlds, isn't it? Is the prequel shows how H.G. Wells' narrator somehow was on Mars as a tourist several decades before and just managed to really piss everybody off, and that's why they <laughs> invaded in the first place. Right, it's Operation Get, get Your Own Back. Here we yeah. go, lads. We've been planning this for 20 years just to get that bastard back. Now, just make sure whatever you do, if you're going to land, land on him. All right? Go, 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 go. Oh, they're just winding him
1: up, and this this I'm just imagining like the the Martian at Martian HQ, just with that troll face as, as his face. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That's
0: hilarious. You mad, bro? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, they realise that this uh, cylinder's crashed um, into the side of the house, effectively, and they hide in the scullery, which is this sort of little pantry area, isn't it? It's not the pantry, but it's not it's like the pantry. It's like, yeah. um, it's like the, is it the cell at the scullery?
0: Well, I, don't know. I mean, of. I think, I've no idea, mate, to be honest. I, yeah. A small room, which has to do, I think, with the preparation of food and mm. or to do with plates and knives and forks. Um, yeah, because yeah, be. you, you had a had a Definitely not made, the place where you yeah. keep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's something to do with the sort of domestic operation. It's to do with food. One thing yeah. I can tell you for sure is that the scullery is not the place that you keep skulls. <laughs> that <laughs> I do know.
1: And probably not or, the place or, that the narrator strangely. goes
0: in very often. Yeah, it's that's sort of, exactly, that's yeah. The, the the, this guy, uh, is there, are we missing a whole strand of horror here that was <laughs> going to be <laughs> totally inherent in it to the Victorian upper middle class? And so I went into the scullery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in, in there was a member of the lower orders. Dropping his H's all over the floor. (laughs) I walked in, he turned around and went, what's this all about? (laughs) (laughs) Disturbed as I was by his overuse of the letters A and H, I backed slowly away, realising a horrible death at the hands of these intergalactic marauders was better than hanging out with a member of the lower class. (laughs) <laughs> or indeed the French as we as we heard the last <laughs> chapter. or indeed the French oh, oh honestly Matt, there is something isn't there about late Victorian England that is beyond parody. <laughs> so chapter two, what we saw from the
1: ruined house. So um, he wakes up and the curate is, is watching the Martians because um, you can there's a gap in the wall now where you can look out and basically look down into the pit. Um, which is obviously been created by the crater that's been created by the um, cylinder crashing. Um, Mm. So it's basically brilliant because you you basically get a front row seat into watching what the Martians are doing now. Um, There's this sort of machine that's a bit like a spider um, which they're using for construction. Yeah. Um, I quite like... There's a little bit here where... um, the is describing the machines and then he says something along the lines of you know, um, later on um, academics have tried to sort of draw these machines um, but all the drawings don't really do them justice and it kind of felt like he was almost like commenting on all the illustrations that have been done of these things <laughs> from his writing. That's true. None of these illustrations that you're ever going to look at are quite the same as what I'm trying to describe here.
0: I've seen the front cover to Jeff Wayne's musical version of The War of the Worlds, and I'm here to <laughs> tell you, reader, that it's bollocks. That's the vibe, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Um, so he gets, but he can
1: have a closer look at these Martians. You've got these giant heads sort of sort of attached effectively as part of the, the big sort of bulk of the body. So you imagine that basically like yeah. a bear, but with no fur, and then it's just a massive head attached to the side of it. Um, they've got big eyes, um, a beak, 16 tentacles, and two sort of clumps of eight each. And yeah. weirdly enough, which I never realised before, like a massive ear on the
0: back. Um, yeah. I know so I I mean the way he described it made it sound like just the whole of the back of this head was one massive completely useless ear. <laughs> I, it's
1: great. Yeah. And apparently every so often they keep trying to walk on the tentacles and falling over and he thinks <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: Sorry. He thinks, that that's comedy is what that is. I don't care what else is going on in this section. That is comedy. <laughs> but I thought it was quite interesting because he thinks they
1: must be able to do that on Mars. Um, but obviously, you sort of, So it's kind of like us on a heavy on a planet with different gravity. Every so often, trying to walk and keep falling <laughs> over. You...
0: So you you got to sort of crawl along on your belly because you can't stand up. That's I thought you doing. were going to say uh, it's like us in on a on a heavy night out. Just <laughs> when I honestly halfway through at the center, so I was like, yeah, it, it is quite similar to when people get really unmanageably drunk, isn't it? Oh, I just I can't even. lift the... Oh. Somebody get me a kebab. Um,
1: We do get the first few um, signs of, if if you're looking at it carefully here, optimism about how this book's going to end. Because, like I say, he's mentioned that future people will try and draw these things, which suggests mankind's going to survive. And again, here he says, you know, in the future, doctors have dissected some of these corpses. Yeah. And found there to be no digestive system, but again that suggests that we 're going to be in a position at some point where doctors are going to be able to dissect them
0: yeah, um, I did notice that those these little kind of like nods to the audience, these winks of don 't worry it 's all going to be all right hmm. but I tell you the other thing I noticed as well was um there 's some classic sort of late Victorian bad science here <laughs> like where, when he's des- when he 's describing the uh, the digestive system, he describes what humans do with food as hmm turning food into blood and um yeah, and yeah. describes the martians as eating by just taking other the blood of other beings and injecting it right into their veins so that's really fantastic misunderstanding of what food is mm. and like how the body fuels itself and stuff uh, but it, there's the sort of wonderful misunderstanding that you know extremely you know, the, the people who were at the top of the pile, the people who definitely knew everything that was going on in that era, would have said with absolute confidence and belief that it was true because they'd something, something, something heard it somewhere. Yeah. And I, I really do love that because that's not supposed to be funny. That's something that has become funny over time. And now it's hilarious. I, yeah. just, I love it. I absolutely love it. Turning food into blood, obviously. Yeah, it's
1: it's it's kind of a jump. The the, the gist of it's right in that, like you know, nutrients resolved into the bloodstream. But yeah, it isn't quite. You can't really make the jump into it, and therefore, if you inject someone's blood into your bloodstream,
0: you're going to be all right. Yeah, Um, Yeah, it's fantastic. Like Victorian science logic, which is to say, makes sense from a distance, but once you get up close. It's total pony. I just absolutely love it. I do think this is quite a popular
1: um, science fiction alien um, idea, though. That they sort of, the idea of an an alien sucking um, someone dry to feed is um, very much something that I think you see in a lot of sci fi and horror films. Um, Yeah. So it's definitely something that sort of, I think even now still is, I, I can imagine Hollywood now making something like that. Yeah. Um, and not not worrying too much about the details. Uh, yeah. the, the, if you're wondering what they eat, um, <laughs> it's us. <laughs> <laughs> oh <That's a> shame! <laughs> I mean, it sort of had to be, didn't it? Like, uh, yes,
0: I look at it. I mean, you know, there are worse options, are there? No, there are no worse options. But um, but just like in 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 like alien fiction, of course they eat you. It's the mm. aliens that eat you. The same as in every story.
1: Yeah, it's like um, to the in the I think it was first or second part. You said about the uh, the analogy of the um like people landing on a tropical island and the dodo going to his wife over the nest, saying, "Oh, it's all right, we can peck him to death." <laughs> and this, is like, this is the point where the dodo's creeping through the forest and, and looks out and sees them barbecuing another one <laughs> <out laughs> eats as well no
0: this is the moment where the, the, the dodo's walking through the forest on the ground definitely not flying and just behind him just hears somebody cock a shotgun like <laughs> click uh... <laughs>
1: um yeah so they basically inject the the blood as I say of still living humans into their veins um if you're wondering what they ate on Mars, it turns out there are these, like, men-like creatures, these little sort of thin, gimpy-looking things with big eyes, <laughs> skinny things, which they, they've packed a few of them into cans um oh. think it turned out there's been three of them <laughs> in every cylinder, just for sort of like for, for a snack oh. along the way but oh I, I did I did sort of enjoy the sort of creeping horror of this of these like these other really creepy looking creatures that are there sort of on Mars
0: basically as as food for the Martians, yeah, 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 absolutely, and if you think about it from their perspective, it is a little bit like us looking through a telescope one day and discovering that. Venus, far from being covered in poisonous gas clouds and four hundred mile an hour winds, is actually covered in things that look almost exactly like cows. Right? Like <laughs> oh really? Well we better get over there then, and we we've got a bit of a shortage. Um and I also like the idea of just how mundane this journey must have been with like canned human as or canned humanoid as a sort of as your snack along the way. It certainly beats a ginsters pasty, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, they they never sleep, um, and they don't have. Uh, they, they, there's, there's no differentiation in sex. Um, yeah. And apparently, the way they reproduce is they basically grow another one on the side of them. Apparently, they they find the humans find uh, once all this is over that during the invasion there was one sort of partial birth on Earth because oh, right. they find a Martian with sort of like another mini Martian growing on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's um, quite yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah, um, v- very much. But again, did you notice I really loved the sort of, there was a lot running through this little section of the book that really betrayed how kind of, um, like, foolishly kind of mechanistic and sort of, like, like modernist, really, um, the narrator's mindset is. Where he just keeps talking about the only purpose of sleep to him is so that the muscles can recharge, which Mm. we now know it's almost completely neurological. And the reason that we sleep is so that because our brains, having processed all this information, need some need some time to sort of file it away, Mm. uh, as well as being obviously physically restorative not to move for eight hours. Um (laughs) but um but and and just all of this stuff where like uh, he was describing you know he's describing all these functions of life reproduction and sleep and eating and all of this stuff in ways that are really quite subtly wrong and almost all of them are like as we know in our age the only purpose of x is to y and it's mm. all produ- like production focused it's all kind of like the only reason to sleep is so that your muscles can do more moving obviously ideally therefore we would be without muscles and we would never need to sleep and yeah. that's just not true but it's this really you can totally see this kind of the, the, the arrogance of the early 20th century really showing itself here uh, yeah. we know everything and, and the only thing that matters is this kind of pro- productivity and uh, therefore uh, these things only have a certain purpose, uh, the end we've seen it yeah. and it was the empire and a, a really interesting just again cross-cultural moment between me and my own culture 120 years earlier and mm. how different that can be you know yeah because it's similar to the idea
1: is you know like when you, you whip out an appendix or tonsils now so you don't need yeah. them um but yeah I, I, I always worry about that like are we going to find out in like 30 years that it's quite something? Mis- <laughs> or, or yeah. is it going to be a case of like yeah it is just a little bit of the evolutionary process which is, uh, is left over from a time when we yeah. did need something but we don't need it
0: anymore so it'll probably disappear over the next few million yeah. years um, yeah and it's that that functional thinking thing isn't it that really kind of gets you there is yeah. um is the sort of danger of 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 hearing you know of assuming that we know everything and the way everything's supposed to work and then discovering 20 years later shit tonsils are actually quite good for you know like happiness <laughs> bollocks put them back in
1: yeah cuz um, it, it the art, the martians are like described as being the um the sort of what is assumed to be the sort of final sort of stage of evolution for humans. Yeah. So um, I think he even says a bit later on in this chapter, you know, um, there's an academic who's brought up all these ideas about the ideal sort of final human form after the end of evolution. Um, The very concept of the end of
0: evolution. uh, Exactly. (laughs) That's the most Victorian thing. That sentence there summed up exactly what I was thinking was, so you think evolution ends? I'm not sure that's how it works. But they want to feel like they know stuff now and they're on the top of the pyramid. Or at the very least, the process they're currently going through is a pyramid with a top. Yeah. Um, And I'm not sure that's the way it works at all. It kind of feels a bit like um,
1: someone coming in like, to do a massive cuts program for a business or something. It's like, right, how much of this do we really need? Do we? Well, we need the yeah. eyes, okay, keep the eyes. We need the hands, yeah. keep those. Uh, can we lose this whole digestive tract bit? Probably, let's cut that. What uh, Can we, can what we do you lose need food for? Sex, forget about that. Sleeping, let's get rid of that. <laughs> Just, like, sticking, like, a big red line through all this stuff. <laughs> it
0: absolutely is, bloody hell. It's humanity as defined after a particularly swinging set of it's funding cuts, isn't it? And then it's just, just, yeah, no, you don't need any of that. None of that, none of that, none of these sort of things. What's this? Smiling. Fuck you, just smiling. Get rid of that right away. One of the of that. Other- what you've got is your tentacles and your massive <laughs> ear on the back of your head. That's all you need.
1: One of the other things they don't need is that uh, they decided on Mars was any forms of bacteria or... Um, Anything that causes diseases or cancers and stuff, so they've they've got yeah. rid of all that on Mars as well.
0: They uh, vaccinate their kids either. No. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah, so not only is all this uh, all this happening in the pit, at the same time, the uh, this red weed is spreading all over the countryside, which um, mm. apparently follows water mostly, and then spreads out from there. And it's basically the Martian version of vegetation and mm. some of that's arrived oh what i was going to say as well with this is um another thing i was reading about it in between weeks is a lot of the invasion um stuff is like the martian invasion is supposed to be very so sort of drawn from um the sort of british invasion of some um sort of less uh, technically advanced cultures it, it, it is it is that sort of We've, we've mentioned
0: yeah. it already, but it, it was supposed to be, you know, that obvious as well. Oh, it was it was purposeful, like he was going yeah. for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And it's just, I mean, it's a solid point, And I think it's a kind of, you really need somebody to write fiction this humane when you're an empire that's used to beating everybody. Because, mm. I mean... this is a very complicated idea, I suppose, but, like, I look at this, published in in Hardback in 1898, and within 16 years we have the First World War, which is a conflict that kind of proceeds from all of these empires existing and believing that they're just going to carry on existing and that the world's not going to change, and that their way of winning is going to be the way that they win, and it's this, you know, horrifying lesson, the capstone on decades and decades of, of kill, killing globally um, is the discovery that turns out we do need to be more humble than we have previously been. And here we are 16 years before the fact reading this book. Mm. Um, and and the point of it is kind of beware, beware. In fact, really interestingly, um, Rudyard Kipling, who's basically the, sort of the H.G. The, the, uh, the Wells of poetry... That's not the world's worst summary of a poet. Um, But Rudyard Kipling, who was the Poet Laureate, actually wrote a poem for Queen Victoria's whatever it was, 60th Jubilee, I think, which had the same note in it, which was basically, I mean, the catch line was, um, Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. And it was basically saying, look, we don't necessarily deserve to be in this position. Mm. Um, You know, we've done awful things in order to be here. And this is the national poet at the end of 60 years of global hegemony, saying this. Mm. And it's really interesting to me that, you know, you these artists clearly saw this massive, catastrophic change coming, or at least saw the hubris that was going to lead to it. Um, mm. But, you know, um, but clearly it takes takes longer to change the direction of a culture than that. And, you yeah. know, what it took for the UK was a couple of fairly punishing world wars. Mm, really like fascinating to me to see this anyway anyway sorry digression but yeah dead yeah. interesting as an english person to see this and then know what was coming in the next 50 years
1: yeah and of course less we forget became the sort of um the the phrase that was used immediately yeah. after the first world war it sort of it, it all all came to a head that, uh,
0: yeah um, yeah absolutely yeah and it then there was a reason for that slogan is everybody looked back and was like oh yeah he was right we were warned oh so
1: the um, as, as this uh, oh the, the only other thing we need to say about the Martians is uh, they don't speak to each well this is this is the narrator's theory more so than anything else but he from watching them has decided that they don't speak to each other in terms of in, in ways that we do they speak telepathically yeah um, yeah but he seems to put this forward sort of with the acceptance that this is a theory this is just his own theory. Um, whereas yeah. the rest of it is presented much more confidently as, as clear evidence. Yeah. Um, one of the weird things that he mentions as well for all the advanced technology that the Martians have, they haven't discovered the wheel. There's no wheels yeah. anywhere yeah. in the. Which I thought was just quite an interesting little uh, yeah. wrinkle as well.
0: Well, um, and it, it sort of makes you wonder, doesn't it? What, what things, which are perfectly possible, our development has just skipped. As a, as a, as the human race, you know what I mean. Like, um, I think a great example of this actually is. Um, uh, I heard, I read an argument once. Which was you know there's three basic machines, and I'm definitely going to screw this up, and if anybody listening to this is a scientist, I really do apologize, but pretty much it's like the lever, Xbox, the, PlayStation the Xbox. <laughs> that's exactly it smartphone for a start um food mixer no um, uh it's the lever, the wheel, and there's one other thing, and it's there's supposed to be these like irreducibly simple mechanisms hmm. on which like human society's been built, and I read this argument once which said the hydraulic piston should be considered one of those because mm. it's irreducible. You can't you can't actually reduce a hydraulic piston, which is a really useful device for changing different types of pressure into motion and so on. Mm. Um, you can't actually make that any more simple than it is as a mechanism. So he was arguing that even though we only discovered it 150 years ago or whatever, actually it deserves to be put in the same kind of list as these things which the Greeks came up with. And it's mm. dead interesting to me, like, you know, what... What else have we not come up with yet that actually is mechanically irreducible? Hmm. You know, what is there that we could have come up with given different circumstances four thousand years ago, but just haven't? Um, yeah, really exciting to me, actually, really fascinating.
1: Yeah, and when those sort of things are are discovered by different civilizations, you can see very different outcomes depending on what you do and don't have. Here's a good example yeah. is um, in a similar way, sort of architecture. How yeah. um, civilizations that. Were, uh, who sort of came up with the keystone to make stuff that the buildings look so different to civilizations that don't use keystones uh, so, and, and you can yeah. look at like how buildings just look completely different to each other and it, yeah. often it comes down to this one slight difference yeah, um, in how you build stuff so yeah, yeah. it is, it's, and yeah the idea of uh, this massively advanced um, this massively advanced creatures from another planet who didn't think about the wheel, but found ways around
0: it to make even better stuff. Is uh, yeah, Develop telepathy, flat pack approaches to packing up war <laughs> yeah, machines, yeah. tinned humans, <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing. They've got it all, but just they get out of the thing and the first thing they see is like a horse and cart and they're like, Guys, 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 get back in the get back in the thing. We're not ready for this. We're not ready for this. they've they've got some, some funky business guy I dunno what, but we gotta go. We've gotta go, man. Come on, gotta go.
1: <laughs> yeah, just imagine a, a Martian just stopping him just picking up a wheel and just looking at it, it's like, <laughs> where are the corners? But well, there's no cut <laughs> So so this so this line never ends, it just goes
0: on and, and then it gets but then it
1: continues.
0: Oh <laughs> man, it's blowing my mind. Yeah, that's it. That is it, isn't it? And then all you need is for somebody to lean over and just sort of give them a joint, and they'd just be looking at the wheel for a week. They'd just be like, "Wow, man, I just because because the thing is that it it turns, you know it 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 just it it goes. I just go. Somebody get me some watsits, you know, like just
1: just. Oh, uh, yeah, marvelous. And then at some point, like the Martians will be looking through the telescope at Earth and they'll be like, How did we not notice? The thing we're looking at circular. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: it. <laughs> Martian astronomer just hammers, hammers his massive, multi tentacled, single eared head against the desk next to his big Martian telescope. <laughs> fools! Fools! We're all fools!
1: Uh, so t- chapter three the days of imprisonment so good news they got a front row seat um to oh one last thing I wanted to say in the last chapter there's a little digging machine as well basically like a Roomba but it digs rather than hoovers <laughs> up and that's just sort of
0: like digging around I thought that was really cute is um, there no end Matt to the number of things number of innovations that HG Wells put in this novel <laughs> we've got Roombas, flat pack furniture. We've got, <laughs> We've we've got what's the other thing he's got in here? He's it's like some oh yeah, all of these like narrative tropes that you get. Hmm. You know, he's basically like we've got Stephen King's the Mist in here with the smoke.
1: Hmm.
0: We've got uh, and the tentacles actually in this bit after this. This this next section oh, is yeah. absolutely Stephen King's the Mist. Um, you know, aliens that come from space and want to eat you. All of it. Yeah, it's okay. it's it 20th century popular literature in a single slim volume. It's crazy. <laughs> um, so traps
1: the days of imprisonment. So, yeah, good news, you've got a front row seat to watch the Martians. Bad news, you can't get away because um, you're sort of right in the middle of it, surrounded by them. you just got to hunker down and keep quiet. Mm. Um they, so the only thing to do all day is sit and watch the Martians, but only one person can view it at a time, so they're constantly fighting with each other, uh, the narrator from the curate to sort of have a go on the um have a go on the sort of viewing platform, if you like. Um He he considers the curate to be greedy, soft, noisy, weak, sort of spoiled. He just yeah, he thinks yeah. he's
0: absolutely useless. And cares. He's not wrong yeah yeah <laughs> he he is useless he's the image of the useless character from every piece of literature
1: yeah and the worst part for the narrator is he has to rely on him to a not eat all the food quickly and b not give them away and he's, he's yeah. rubbish at both it turns out
0: yeah um,
1: it's uh, yeah there's not much sympathy for the curate,
0: is there? Um, None, but they're not, not. Not even to the point of giving it, giving him a name. Also, can I point out that sympathy for the curate is one of uh, one of the Rolling Stones' least well rated albums.
1: <laughs>
0: sympathy for the curate. Sympathy for the curate. It's a a, a a load of pastoral folk reinterpretations of the standards from Sympathy for the Death. <laughs> I can definitely see that on a
1: T-shirt. Sympathy for the Curate.
0: Sympathy definitely. for the Curate. <laughs> I'm
1: making those. <laughs> um, so the uh, the Martians have also they're using this machine that seems to be digging out clay and turning it into aluminium. Um, so that's nice work if you can get it. Don't know how it works, but um, yeah. I mean, I don't know how aluminium is really made.
0: I don't think that's how you do it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that is how you do it if you happen, the clay in question happens to be aluminium ore and yeah. you have some kind of, you know, magic smelting device, which they have all the other magic devices, so why not? Mm. But I do like the idea of Sheen, you know, this kind of relatively unregarded Zone 4 section of London, mm. actually being built on top of like impossibly valuable aluminium ore that all you <laughs> need to do is heat it up a bit and it turns into a metal. That's like. <laughs> Yeah. Be homeowners of southwest London beware beware the martians are coming. <laughs>
1: um so he sees the martians feeding um these uh humans are brought in who've been captured in the basket and he hears um shrieks and sounds of hooting as the martians feed. This is weird. There's, um the martians make a noise yeah. like a, a hooting noise when they eat. But that's um assumed to be them expelling sort of air out of their sort of beaks. To, to then take in the nutrients. But the whole thing here is utterly just complete horror, isn't it? And I think a little bit later on, yeah. um, a few lines later, he says he sees this happen to um, a teenager, and um, this almost sort of snaps him in uh, in terms of his mental stability, and he starts to try and dig a tunnel out and fails.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah. This whole... this. So, this whole section here, like, I'm not saying there wasn't event in it, but does it strike you that he's going into a bit more detail than he needs to about what it's like to be stuck inside a house and unable to leave it? Uh, I don't know. What do you mean? Well, it just feels a bit to me like he could eat, could quite easily, for the last for these couple of chapters, just kind of gone, and I was trapped inside the house for 15 days. <laughs> then... <laughs> Like I just for some reason there's just something about all of this where I'm like mm, yeah, you're not you're not taking me along with you but maybe maybe I'm just reacting against the tension that he's trying to build and I'm like I don't want you to build any tension you build that tension somewhere else you take it away and build it elsewhere thank yeah, you very much it's one of those difficult
1: parts of a book for an author when if you've if you wanna if you're placing your character if you decide to place your character in a situation where they're experiencing Mm. monotony and tedium how do you make sure that the the person reading still feels what the person they're supposed to be feeling is feeling so you feel what the character's feeling that's one thing you're supposed to do without making them feel bored (laughs) because you don't want that to happen to your reader (laughs) so it's yeah Yeah. so i think think the reason it it, it can feel a little pedestrian this bit is i suppose it's (laughs) It's trying to give you... He's trying to emote that feeling um, to us, but yeah. obviously not too much, because you'll put the book down.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll tell you one that actually I I thought... I've. Um, have you ever read uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the uh, Sea? No, no, I've not. No. I, actually, we should think about doing that on the podcast, I think. I, it's fantastic. Um, but um, the... There's a passage in that where, so you know, it's set on a submarine, right? And um, the uh, at one point the the oxygen they can't come up for oxygen or something, and they're all you know sort of crawling around, running out of air. And you would think that it would be excruciating, but it's brilliant. Like it's so good at making you feel like there's no feel like there's no oxygen mm. in the room. Um, and so like I don't know, I'm not indifferent to somebody writing a really well put together bit of tension, but and uh, maybe it's just the fact that. He talks in this very sort of of matter-of-fact, again, Victorian, stoic Mm. kind of a way that means that I'm like, well, then I don't really have a... I'm I'm not really feeling with you because you're not telling me that you're feeling it either. So what it boils down to is that I'm as bored as you would be if you had to stay inside one room for Mm. 14 days. Yeah. Um, There's other stuff that's interesting about this, of course, but I did feel like Mm. it's sacked. Something else that's interesting, at the
1: end of this this, uh, chapter there's the sound of six guns going off in the distance, which I thought was quite good because we mentioned this last week that the sort of the, the humanity seems to roll over pretty quickly and then that's that it's over. And it seems that there are these, this is sort of a nod to there is some sort of resistance from some areas. And every so often you get this yeah. little sort of, um, this little flavor of it without actually got, you actually finding out any more. Um, Mm. chapter 4 the death of the curate um it turns out he's it turns out he's been eating on this no redemptive character <laughs> arc
0: then or indeed name
1: <laughs> no he's been eating too much so uh the narr- <laughs> so he's got to go so <laughs> the narrator's like right fuck this we're rationing and assume <laughs> the curate's like I'm. I'm. This is Victorian England. We don't do rationing, mate. <laughs> I'm having more of that. <laughs> we do not do
0: rationing. We have the plenty of the world on yeah. our doorstep. Um. So he's. So
1: yeah. He's, he starts this rationing, and by the eighth day, the curate is is basically going mad, and he's starting to sort of talk loudly, and he basically doesn't seem to care anymore about about living. Um, yeah. And he, it ends with him saying, sort of, basically going, right, I'm going out there. I'm going to take him on, and um, uh, and and the narrator knocks him out just to shut him up. Um, But at yeah, at that that moment, um, the sort of commotion attracts the attention of a of a Martian, and um, sort of I think it's one of these like little spider machines approaches the the house, and he sees a Martian peering in. So. The narrator sort of scurries off to the to the coal scuttle and like hides there. Um, it's like a mini sort of cellar yeah. area, and um, he hears yeah. the metallic, metallic tentacle coming into the uh, coming into the kitchen, and then pulling the
0: body of the curate away. Yeah, and it's it is the mist. It absolutely is the mist. This. Um, and particularly it's The Mist because um, uh, the curate goes mad and starts this religious ranting right before he gets yanked out, and that's in The Mist as well. Um, But it's also um, Minority Report hiding in a place while a strange, you know, kind of alien tentacle thing that can detect you and cause you great harm comes in to look Mm. for you. Um, There's that whole sequence in Minority Report with the little spider bots. And... um, Again, so much flipping stuff that's been used in later fiction comes from this book. It's mm. nuts. Yeah. I like the way that the
1: tentacle comes in and takes the curate. And then it comes back and sort of fiddles with the the door to the cell to the coal cellar. Sort of goes in, touches the boot of the narrator, and then sort of grabs this lump of coal and takes it out. And then it comes back again but it just sort of shuts the cellar door and then continues to explore elsewhere. And it was just that the tentacle arriving three times is really good for building the tension. You're like, it comes in, yeah. grabs the curate, you're like, oh, well, if anyone has to go, <laughs> ride it be him. Phew, as it leaves. And yeah. then, oh, God, it's coming
0: back. And yeah. then, phew, it's got some coal. And then, oh, yeah, no, it's coming yeah, back. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, And it's classic storytelling mm. as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, no, no, great stuff. So, chapter five, The Stillness. When I saw the name of this chapter, I thought it was going to be like The Stillness, as in, oh, the sweet silence when the curate's finally shut up. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Did you feel any sympathy for the curate? No, because I haven't been invited to feel sympathy for the curate. He has been, like, the most transparently... Like, somewhere between a straw man and a kind of reverse Mary Sue, Mm -hmm. I suppose. Like, his purpose in the plot is to make the narrator look incredibly level-headed and well-balanced. Even at the moment when he provokes the narrator to run towards him with a fucking meat cleaver, um, you know, this is presented as a reasonable thing Mm -hmm. to do. Um, And uh, he doesn't get a name... Um, And his purpose is to present, I think, um, uh, foolish superstition and the complete failure of moral character in the face of true Mm. challenge. And who knows, that may be a fair depiction of the clergy of late Victorian England. It was, you know, it was a fairly well-paid job without very much to do, if you were minded to treat it that way. Um, So... um, yeah, but no, I haven't because he hasn't been presented to me as a character so much as he has been a, a straw man to be punched in the face until eaten by an alien. That's been the role. <laughs> I mean, what about you? Did you did you go on his journey with him? Did you feel it's it? Interesting.
1: Um, I read him in a uh, from a different perspective, just because. I was comparing him to what he's like in the music version, which we'll come to at the end. Um, And I was, no, I didn't have any sympathy for him, but I was, that was interesting how, um, how he's portrayed, uh, in the, he's kind of the same, he's portrayed in the same way, but in a different way too. But we'll, we'll we'll look at that at the end. Um, Mm. at the end of the series, the, uh, the (laughs) the narrator emerges from the, from the coal cellar and, um, I almost imagine him rubbing his hands together here, like expecting the food windfall in the pantry. Now the curate's gone. Um, but no, the Martians have taken all the food. It's like, oh, God. I just imagine him just drop, like opening the pantry door, like, oh, come on. And then, like, seeing the empty shelves and
0: sort of slamming the door, going, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And I was eaten shortly afterwards because of my anger. But honestly, I would have be been with him in that. Just. I, I, I would have been I would have gone further. I would have been on my knees. It would have been no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This this does lead to
1: um, a few more days now of starvation. He doesn't have anything to eat. He doesn't. He's too afraid to even crawl over yeah. to the water pump um, for fear of bringing this Martian back. So he goes like four or five days um, without food. Most of it without water as well. Quite how he survived um, is a, is a miracle, really, and. Um, it's ended when this dog arrives and this shows his sort of how bad things have got because this dog shows up and he's like oh it's a dog Come here boy yeah. Come here boy and he's, his immediate thought isn't oh finally in the, this sea of so- uh, this, this solitary sea finally a companion it's maybe I <laughs> could kill him and eat him <laughs>
0: yeah and i think that is like i think maybe because i'm not getting hyped by the but the text isn't hyping me into feeling the emotions mm. of the guy. I am missing this, and perhaps this is a better depiction of somebody really descending into kind of beastliness mm. um, than than I had previously thought. Um, now I'm thinking about it, but yeah, it, it, it is fantastic moment of you know this isn't this isn't you know kind of man's best friend you know uh, kind of uh, sentimentality about mm. animals at all. <laughs> this is. Probably quite good on toast, <laughs> yeah dog on toast,
1: yeah, it's interesting how um yeah it's used to satisfy like a a, a primal need here that the uh, the um the narrator's so hungry that he thinks I could eat this thing, whereas in the when we read uh i am legend the the uh, the mm. the main character in that comes across a dog, but he's, he's sort of he's no problem for food. But he comes across a dog, and he's incredibly lonely, and he sees it as this lifeline yeah. for just breaking yeah. solitude. And it's just interesting how that yeah,
0: isn't the that interesting? You can yeah, the, absolutely. Well, and the different ways in which, in its era, so a, a sci-fi book about a really horrifying scenario, but one that was written in seventies America, is far more alive to the idea of emotional needs and kind of far more connected with that, whereas this thing written by, you know, a, a gifted and prescient, uh, you, you know, person from the kind of height of, of British Empire um, really doesn't see that at all and is far more brutal about it and is like, well, who needs emotions? I need food. Um, a very interesting cultural difference as well, isn't it? I think. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And then he emerges from... He basically... He can't, he can't catch he can't catch this dog he's also worried that the dog's going to give him away um, because it's moving around and making some noise and then he looks out and realizes mm. the martians have gone they've just wandered off there's there's no one there's just this sort of pile of dead bodies and an empty crater and that's that's that so he, he can leave and he, he walks out of the house and he says uh, oh the sweetness of the air um
0: <laughs> Which I doubt that that's a literal thing, since the air is full of, you know, recently disintegrated smoke and dust, and you know the far-off echoing piteous wails of mm. his countrymen and the dogs they've recently <laughs> tried to eat. But you know, I'm, yeah, I'm so, sure it's all relative. To <laughs> <laughs> that, that's undeniable. I really can't throw too much shade at this guy. I have, after all. Never survived two weeks without food in a house directly underneath the uh, construction site of an alien war machine that's true chapter six last Never chapter of today <laughs>
1: it's got, it's called the uh the work of fifteen days so um it's basically a little summary of what what appears to have happened um, while he's been sort of imprisoned in this ruined house. It basically mm. says now he feels like an animal, um, sort of under the Martian hand. He feels like you know there's a new <laughs> there's a new apex predator in town, <laughs> and it's not <laughs> us, <laughs> um, unfortunately. Um, the, the The red weed is everywhere now. Yeah, um, and it's so it's grown so much that in some places it grows as high as his neck when he's wading through it. So it's almost like, um, you know similar to
0: cornfields or something yeah um, i just and i don't know about you but to be honest with you this was one of the more unbelievable bits like or the, the more kind of fantastical bits was where i was like wow neck high vegetation in london <laughs> i don't believe a word of it can't can't get there <laughs> can't get there
1: it's interesting that he says the narrator here yeah, it's growing sort of net in places, which is useful because it hides me from the Martians. Um, but f- <laughs> yeah. fairly soon after this this point, um, it all starts to die and turn grey because um, the vegetation isn't adapted to um, t- to our planet, and it's killed by bacteria. Um, which is which is a little unusual because you do ha- you get these in real life sort of infestations. Um, where you know someone accidentally brings some seeds over to another country or something and suddenly yeah. it just spreads everywhere yeah, yeah um yeah. but more often than not it either spreads or it doesn't you don't get this sort of spread and then fall back yeah that's very much something that happens to sort of animals and creatures more than oh uh, that's um, interesting well it happens to people i'm not sure yeah. it happens to creatures very much um but yeah this sort of problems of disease in a new place I don't know, maybe it does happen to plants and I've just never come across it,
0: but it's something I I always imagine
1: happening to people rather than
0: plants That's interesting, I think it's a more in a way it's a more arresting image isn't it of like watching, if you were watching looking at woking from space as I'm sure everybody does on the ISS when they're looking for a good time Um, Troll Martian is trying to find an narrator to fire into the cylinder (laughs) You woking bro Um uh, looking down and just, it'd be quite dramatic, wouldn't it? You know, you see these few little kind of puffs of, of of dust as these things land, and then you know, fast forward over the next week, and you just see this like massive spreading red patch, and then mm. all of a sudden, in much the same way, this contracting red patch. That's quite mm. an arresting image. Um, but no, I've never heard of plants doing that either. So I don't know. If it's mm. if it's science fiction, it's good science fiction. <sighs> Uh, write that on the cover That's the cover blurb they've been waiting <laughs> for For 120 years <laughs> The War of the Worlds If it's science fiction, it's good science fiction Dash, shark me oil
1: <laughs> So the, the narrator's Walking through um, London now, pretty much entirely Deserted, I don't think he sees another person um, He wonders if he's The only person alive now nah. um, Again, I am legend This
0: is This is mm. stone cold I am legend and 28 days later
1: yeah. He tries gnawing on a couple of sort of animal bones, can't get much nutrients out of them. He's basically digging up any plants he can find in gardens and stuff. Mm, yeah. Um and he feels like this area, sort of London and the surroundings, seems to have been picked clean of like humans now and maybe mm. the Martians are moving on to another area, like Berlin or Paris, he says, yeah. or north. Yeah. <laughs> it's <That's> vaguely north.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> they may be going to some <laughs> other considerable destination, such as Berlin or Paris, or the north. <laughs> <Ha>. <laughs> um
1: But, yeah, and that's where, that's where we end the chapter, or the part of the book for this week. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. And, interestingly enough... The uh, the next next week we're reading to the end of the book, so we'll find out
0: uh, what the
1: end game is, Dave.
0: The end gasp. game. I'm very excited to find out what the end game is because I'll be honest with you. At this point, I can't I can't quite work it out. Like mm. I I mean you know maybe I'm spoiled by kind of very standardised kind of fictional structures for films and stories and that, but I don't feel like I know what he's trying to do. Or what he's trying to resolve. Or that there's been any kind of meaningful engagement with this primary antagonist. You know, so there's Mm. no kind of... He's not experiencing a challenge in his character. I I don't know where the story would go. I suppose what you need to do, I suppose what the story will, will do, I predict, is we'll resolve in a... If this was a Stephen King story, it would resolve in a mind-blowingly bleak way, which is still appropriate to sort of, you know, the vagaries of being human. Um, because it's H.G. Wells, I don't know. I mean, are we really gonna, are we really gonna find out that there's there's gonna be some Deus Ex Machina in there? Um, mm-hmm. There's like there must surely there must be either that or it turns out that you know the, the army was just waiting, just hiding behind Coventry, just waiting to jump out and retake the south. Um, <laughs> But I don't know. What do you reckon? Maybe,
1: maybe the Americans show up. Right?
0: <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> and the, the first person that sees them coming across the Atlantic goes, well, about bloody time as well. We're <laughs> useless without the Americans. <laughs> Sorry, I'm any not, I'm, American I'm, I'm listeners. i my chips on that. Yeah, exactly. I'm putting my chips on that. The Americans <laughs> show up. <laughs> the Americans show up, and we get the um, uh, the that scene from Independence Day where the British have just been sitting in the desert looking at the aliens perplexedly for a couple of months, waiting for the American president to tell them what to do. About really? bloody time! About bloody time! <laughs> we have no agency or weapons of our own at all.
1: Um, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, and also next week, um, we're going to be getting those reviews. We're going to be doing our reviews of the book. So, um. Any reviews you want to send in to add to the collection, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com, or you can get us on Twitter
0: at sharkliveroil. There you go. Till next week, Dave. Well, before we go, Matt, I actually have something for you which I, I, I kind of want to commend you for not having mentioned, uh, but which I certainly am going to mention. And, um, and we just prepare for the tone okay. to drop through the floor here because I'm astonished given how much mileage we got out of uh, the uh, the uh, <laughs> magical ejaculating husband last time out, that you didn't mention this. Um, but right at the start of chapter six, which is the first chapter of today's section, the following yeah. passage appears, and I will read it in full, because it is a masterpiece. <clears throat> oh no, sorry, not the t- chapter six, that was the last one. What was this? Chapter one, underfoot. Okay, mm. It's it's glorious second or third paragraph um such vague anxieties keep the mind sensitive and painful i grew very weary and irritable with the curate's perpetual ejaculations i tired of the sight of his selfish despair After some ineffectual remonstrance, (laughs) I kept away from him, staying in a room, evidently a children's schoolroom containing globes, forms, and copybooks. When he followed me thither, I went into a box room at the top of the house and, in order to be alone with my aching miseries, locked myself in. And if you want to tell me that in order to be alone with my aching miseries is not also a euphemism... (laughs) i call shenanigans on that whole idea he's been followed around by a frantically masturbating man of the cloth and all he wants is some time to himself (laughs) you've been fapping away behind me like life depended on it for the last four hours
1: leave me alone
0: (laughs) just fuck off what is it exactly about me being in front of you that helps honestly i in fact don't answer that i do not want to know please leave I'm, come on, man, I'm in a nursery. Have some decency, for fuck's sake.
1: <laughs> Imagine, you might think it was like, he's like narrating to himself. And, saying, and the sixth night, after watching the Martians feed, I retired to the cellar to a darkened, dreamless sleep. Oh, fucking out here. it right? <laughs> <laughs> again really
0: every time is it they'll hear you as much as anything else they will hear you because I bloody can <laughs> yeah yeah no, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, that would have been a shame to miss out on <laughs> We go looking we go looking for all the best little nuggets of joy that are to be found in the classics of world literature, ladies and gentlemen. And if they revolve around the completely innocent use of the formerly totally acceptable word ejaculate to mean talk, then though that's where we go. We go where the jokes are and on that bombshell
1: <laughs> uh, that, is, that, that is all from us for this week we'll, um, we'll be back next week with the reviews so yeah get those in shortly royal podcast at gmail.com and, um, and also a final discussion and then the week after we'll do a special little bonus edition um, where we'll do the we'll do the music yeah. and also maybe a couple of other retellings because um, uh, there's yeah, been fantastic. a couple of films and stuff like that as well Cracking.